Welcome to Charting the Course, a podcast from Full Sail Capital, dedicated to providing you with insights, assurance, and confidence to grow and manage generational wealth. Full Sail Capital is a fiduciary registered investment advisor managing more than $1.5 billion with a focus on integrity, competency, and transparency. Hello, everyone. Welcome back. I am super excited about today's conversation. I really think it'll be both educational and informative, but also interesting just to hear the stories behind these these two organizations that I've that I've asked to come in here and sit down. So today I'm joined by Frank Merrick, Carrie Blakely, and Randy Macon. They're all involved with a organization by the name of Foundation Management, as well as Because We Care Philanthropy. Foundation Management is a Oklahoma-based company that primarily serves private foundations, charitable organizations, also nonprofit communities really across the U.S., and, and they're going to dive into some more specifics. But they have over 200 years of combined experience. As you will hear, they do a little bit of everything, and they just serve an incredible purpose working with these families to impact their communities wherever that may be. So that's the foundation management side. The other entity we're going to talk about is called Because We Care Philanthropy. Because We Care is a 501c3 nonprofit organization. It is a donor advice fund sponsor. So if you've read or seen or are charitably inclined, you've heard of the growing popularity of donor advice funds. Well, this is a donor advice fund sponsor. So they allow individuals, families, corporations to set up individual donor advice funds for whatever whatever purpose is needed at the time. Because We Care was really founded and exists today with a very simple purpose, which is to grow philanthropy. Through a couple stories, their history, through their experience, I hope that uh, you all can come away with a better understanding of what a donor advice fund is, how a family foundation operates, and maybe what area you may potentially fit into. Because there's a lot, there's a lot of misconceptions out there around both these topics. So without further ado, let's get to my conversation with Frank, Randy, and Carrie around foundations, giving, generosity, and donor advice funds. Well, thank you all for joining me today. I'm really excited about this episode. Selfishly, you guys are all friends of mine, but professionally, I love the ability to tell your story and get you guys on the podcast because I think there's there's such an untapped market, if you will, of, of people and families that don't know exactly what you guys do and more specifically what foundations and donor advice funds play in families' lives and especially when it comes to their, their financial lives. Let's start with this. I'm going to kick it over to Carrie. Carrie, I'm going to have you introduce Randy and then Randy, Frank, and then Frank, you can brag on these two for a little bit. So Carrie, we'll start with you and I'll have you introduce Randy across from you. Very good. My name is Carrie Blakely. I am the vice president at Foundation Management. I've been working with our team there for about 12 years now. So excited to be here today and share some more information about that. And I will now send it over to Randy Macon. Thank you, Carrie. Pleasure to be here today with Tyler and my good friends, Frank and Carrie. So my name, as we said, is Randy, and I've had the pleasure of working on and off with Frank and Carrie over the past seven years, uh, hopefully on more going forward, uh, looking forward to rejoining the team in a full-time capacity very soon. We have the, the distinct pleasure of learning from every day and working with uh, Mr. Frank Merrick, who I first met back in the 2010 timeframe when I was still actually in Tulsa working with a large foundation there. Frank was helping us uh, unravel some scholarship issues. So it's been a, a pleasure uh, knowing him and learning from him since since then. So Awesome. Thank you, Randy. Well, as Randy said, my name is Frank Merrick. I've started foundation management in 2000. So we've been in business a little over 21 years, uh, be 22 years in October. 
My background is in banking and oil and gas. I've run our family foundation since 1980 when I moved back and took over our family business. And so I've kind of grew up with a family that had a foundation, saw the benefits and some of the trials and tribulations that that had. When I left Ardmore in 93, came to Oklahoma City and was a professional fundraiser at the Oklahoma Medical Research Foundation. So I worked with a lot of family foundations and realized that many lacked a professional business plan. And so kind of hatched this idea. After I left OMRF, I went to work in the Bank of Oklahoma Trust Department. And so again, I worked with money managers and families and some family foundations. And so in 2000, left BOK and started foundation management. And we've been very, very fortunate over those 22 years. We started out with one client of $1 million. And today we have just under $400 million in in clients working with families and public charities along the way. So it's awesome. Mm -hmm. So nice to be here and talk about what we do. I think it's always fun to mention, too, I just think it's funny that the first client that Frank mentioned was not actually his own family foundation. <laughs> they came on They made you next. cut your teeth yeah. first. Yeah, they, had, they kind of made him work for it a little bit, and I just yeah, think I that's think funny. They were, they were my third client. And so <laughs> Let's take a step back real quick. I appreciate you guys all taking some time to introduce yourselves, but back me up for, for really each of you because uh, I've heard you all talk about this in some former fashion, but where did this passion for, Frank, you kind of hit on it, the passion for leaving a legacy behind, passion for developing these conversations within these families. So take take me back a little bit for each of you. Where did that passion come from? I'll take you all the way back to my time in Ardmore. When the oil bust came in the mid-80s, Ardmore was a big oil and gas town, clearly our dominant industry. And the families that had foundations and were charitable were able to buy land, develop industrial parks, and really keep Ardmore going as a community. What I realized at a very young age is that generosity, whether it's corporate generosity or or family or, or what, can do a lot of good, not just in social services, but in economic development and, and growth of communities. And so it kind of hatched the egg in my mind that helping others learn through legacy planning the sheer joy of philanthropy. And, and I've always said true philanthropy is one of the most selfish things we can do because it brings us, done right, a tremendous amount of joy. Absolutely. And not everybody gets that, but once you realize that, it's a blessing to be able to be philanthropic and in the case of foundation management, help other families and and corporations see that same benefit Mm -hmm. of their generosity. Yes, I agree. I think Frank is absolutely spot on with the joy that it brings. And honestly, that's kind of addictive. I wasn't really aware of philanthropy, like air quotes, philanthropy, like what it really was Mm -hmm. until my professional life. After college, I worked as a fundraiser. So, you know, you kind of get the feel for things as you're just out of college and trying to learn what it is to work for a nonprofit and be a fundraiser. And then as I my career progressed and then ended up at foundation management was able to learn more and understand really truly what a nonprofit is and really truly what philanthropy is and working with our clients who are lovely, kind and generous individuals and making that connection to the nonprofits and finding projects that everybody's passionate about and just seeing the joy that it brings families and nonprofits and being able to be part of that 
process is uh, just incredibly fulfilling. And I feel like it has made me a more empathetic, more aware person. So, you know, it's just one of those passions that you, it just kind of builds the longer you're working in it, in my opinion. No doubt. Randy, would you add anything? So for me, Tyler, it was being born and raised in a small rural Oklahoma town. Uh, It's just part of what you do, being ingrained in helping each other, volunteering for each other. This world found me, rather, uh, coming out of college, my graduate program. I had applied for a doctoral program, and I was one of three applicants. They had two spots open, and I was the odd man out, so Mm. I didn't get selected. Was devastated for all of a week, and then somebody in Tulsa said, hey, this foundation's looking for an intern right now. Uh, You're going to do this. (laughs) And and I'm so glad that I listened because it's been a remarkable journey. That's great. I appreciate you guys sharing, giving us a little bit of an idea of where this passion comes from because you hear it and I know as we begin this conversation you really can see the passion all three of you have for these in our instance these two specific organizations so in the intro I I explained to listeners there's really two entities we're going to be talking about you guys have already hit on one of them the foundation management company the other one that we're going to spend some time on is called because we care so because we care is a donor advised fund sponsor Let's spend a little bit of time there of what is Because We Care, meaning behind the name, how did that spinoff from foundation management come to fruition? What areas does it serve that the foundation management side wasn't serving? I just think helping to educate our listeners on what that is, because I think that is such a unique opportunity for, for so many people that don't know exactly what that means in those inner workings. Foundation management early in our existence was contacted by Communities Foundation of Oklahoma to take over the management of their company. And one of their larger contracts was with the Oklahoma Educational Technology Trust. And so when we first started working for Communities Foundation of Oklahoma, they had less than $1 million in assets. We worked with them as a contractor through foundation management for about 16 years. Okay. And the plan all along was to grow them to a point where they could spin off and be their own independent entity. During that 16-year period of which the last three years, Randy was the executive director of Communities Foundation of Oklahoma. We grew them from $1 million to over $100 million in assets and over $1 million in cash. Okay. That was theirs. And so that was enough money for them to be able to stand on their own. And okay. so in December of 19, we separated. Okay. They went out. They had their own executive director. That person reported to their board of directors. And so foundation management at that time did not have a public charity that that we were associated with other than the ones all over the country that we use from time to time for our clients. And so Randy and Carrie and I came together and we wanted to to take what was best that community foundations do and do and not do what in our minds were undesirable things. Not, for us, anyway. For us. I mean, <laughs> yeah. not not saying that they do bad things, just things we didn't want to do. Yeah. Right. You wanted to narrow down exactly what you wanted to do and didn't want to do and create an organization to serve that purpose. Absolutely. Yeah. Very focused. Uh, and I'm not saying any community foundation does bad things. No, no, no. We just wanted to focus on the things that we wanted, we felt were most important to our foundation clients and other nonprofits and individuals. And so we were very intentional in having a name because we care 
does not have a geography mm-hmm. component to it. And it also goes back on our philosophy. We are not a financial institution. We are not a bank. We are there to foster charitable giving. And I'll let Randy talk a little bit more about some of that, but we wanted it to be very simple, very straightforward. We did a search. We hired Full Sail Capital to be our money managers, and that has been a very positive relationship. But we can do business with anybody in the United States that wants to give their money in the United States. So we don't have any geographic boundaries. We've got clients that are contacting us from all over the country. We are developing a new product, which we call a co-branded agreement Mm -hmm. between, and I'll let Randy again talk more about that, but it's between a nonprofit and Because We Care to help them with their clients create a legacy gift. Right, right. And and also meet the donor's immediate needs. That's a unique relationship. So I'm glad we're going to have Randy dive into that. And just to elaborate on what Frank has shared there so far, when we had the idea to form Because We Care, our number one focus was doing donor advised funds. We felt that we understand them. We can create this model where we can offer a relatively low entry point and ongoing cost for anyone, as Frank said, in the United States who wants to do something philanthropic. So we we set this up, Tyler, that it costs $250 would have to be the initial deposit or gift into a donor advised fund, which sometimes we abbreviate as a DAF, right. uh, D-A-F. So you can set up a DAF for $250, um, contribute to it as much or as little uh, going forward as you would like, and make grants from it as often or infrequently as one would like. We do like to see that a DAF spends out at least 5% of its a- assets in, in mm-hmm. a charitable way every year, uh, but that's not a requirement. It's just a preference that we try to keep track of there. And so far, we've grown to almost 20 uh, donor-advised funds within the brief period of time that we've been up mm-hmm. and running. I think this new co-branded approach that Frank has mentioned will fill a unique void currently uh, that we've seen, particularly with nonprofit organizations and smaller communities that don't have their own resources to help with planned giving efforts from their donors. So what we're going to do is come up with a way where the charitable organization can attach their logo, their name, whatever clever marketing they want to. So we kind of blend that together because we care will still be the uh, legal owner uh, that, that holds the asset, but we will have kind of shared it in, in partnership with this nonprofit Individuals will still open their own donor advised funds. We will encourage them once a year at minimum to make a gift back to this other charitable organization. They can do other things with it as well, anything that a donor advised fund can do. But then at the time of the donor's death, instead of it going to a successor advisor, we just make a grant for the balance of the funds in the DAF back to that charitable organization. So it's kind of a Mm -hmm. win-win-win all around. Immediate impact, long-term impact, and that product doesn't exist to our knowledge at this time. So you see the name, you know, kind of touching back on the name. Um, It is truly genuine. It It is because we care about getting charitable dollars out into the communities and encouraging individuals to not just put money in there and sit on it, but just let's make a difference. Let's get it out there. Let's get it out in the community. And as 
foundation management to be able to offer that to our clients because we do care about giving them all of the options that they may need in-house so we can be a good service provider. You know, we were kind of sitting around and I remember it was just like, well, what are we going to call this thing? And it was like, well, because we care. And everybody was like, yeah, right on. (laughs) Those are always the best names at that point. (laughs) Let's hit on the donor advised funds because I think now I will say they're becoming more and more popular or maybe understood, but I'll just use me an example. We, you know, my wife and I have a handful of nonprofits, charitable organizations that we like to, we make sure we support throughout the year. We do all those things individually, separately as one-off items. So I get a handful of charitable receipts for my tax year, correct? Let's talk about the donor advised fund because I, I, what I want to try to convey is that there is a key difference between having $5 million in a family foundation that grants out money. And I think people can have, have understood that. So Randy, you mentioned it's 250 bucks to set up a donor advised fund. Let's say I want to put in, you know, a couple thousand dollars each year. What's the benefit to doing it that route? What are the pros for setting a donor advised fund up for an individual or a family? So one of the best pros, Tyler, is what you've touched on there. It just, it streamlines it and makes it simple for the donors and for the charitable organizations receiving the money, right? When you give to a DAF, a donor advised fund, you're giving to a public charity. So individually, you qualify for the same tax advantages as though you were giving to a hundred individual organizations or however many. Unlike a family foundation, which has a little bit of a different tax treatment that I'll let Carrie and Frank talk about in a minute. But once you put the money in, your gift is acknowledged at the time it's received. So you get one tax acknowledgement letter back from the donor advised fund sponsor. You take that to your CPA, your accountant who does your taxes. And then the money's there for you to recommend charitable grants through the DAF uh, at any time. So it can be immediate. It can be over the course of the year or five years or 10 years, whatever that might look like. Right. With you. a recommendation being that there's a 5% spend out of it each year. We do Ideally, like to see that. I mean, we would love to see, to your point, purpose for setting it up was to get money back into the charities in the community. So exactly. One thing, Tyler, some community foundations treat their DAFs as endowments and they only allow you to give away 5%. That's a good, good point. Mm-hmm. That would be the complete opposite of the way we think about DAFs. We encourage you to give away at least 5%. We have clients that have DAFs. They start at a large amount, and that money is gone mm-hmm. by the end of the year. Right. And then they do it again. And so we have both. But we would never think of a DAF at Because We Care as an endowment. There would be never be restrictions on yeah. how much you can give away. Right. Well, and, and just to brag on you guys a little bit, there's a relationship we have where a company was able to use a donor advised fund to basically, it never got invested. It never stayed at Because We Care. It just flowed through the donor advised fund and then out into the community. But it was a way for the company to do some really cool things with their employees and give to institutions that their employees or their charities that their employees really like. So that was a really cool story and opportunity. And even cooler for that specific example, the company ultimately decided that it wanted to be anonymous. So a donor advised Uh, fund allowed them that anonymity. Good reminder. Good reminder. Yeah. We've talked a little bit about a donor advised fund, what it is, the advantages. Let's talk about what can be contributed to a donor advised fund. It's not just cash. 
not just cash. We we prefer cash. I'm right. not gonna not a little, gonna, little easier. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but we can accept. Always. <laughs> yeah, always, always. We can accept marketable securities. We can accept gifts of real property. Right, land. Uh huh. We, we duplexes. We recently accepted um, a duplex. Mm-hmm. I bet that's been fun. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. We're working on figuring out uh, how to get into the uh, crypto space. Yep. Uh, yep. So hopefully, within the next couple months, we'll be in there. But yeah, as long as it's something that has a value attached to it. I I mentioned cash is the easiest. So gifts of artwork or real estate, that's a little more involved. And there are some additional hoops that we have to jump through. There's valuation and and items like that. Almost anything with value we can take. Let's move to who needs a donor advised fund. When do you graduate from a donor advised fund to maybe a family foundation? I think a majority of our listeners are going to be completely on board with understanding that a donor advised fund is going to fit their needs probably for their entire lifetime. But explain maybe the differences on those two entities, if you will. We had lunch with a estate planning law firm yesterday, and we were talking about that very exact question. When is a donor advice fund more appropriate or a better option than a private foundation? And there's a couple of reasons that make donor advice funds they're easy. The gift gets treated as a taxable gift, just like it would be if you were to write a check to a Boys and Girls Club of Oklahoma City. So that's an advantage of a DAF Disadvantages for me, they are not a good multi-generational tool. They're better suited for for one generation. That transfer of wealth that we talk about a lot in our offices is kind of what you're speaking to. If you're really attempting to... Okay. And if you want to involve your children in your DAF, it's not as easy because you don't have regular meetings. You're not meeting with your money manager. You're not going over grant requests as typical family foundations do. And and we'll talk more about that when we talk about foundation yeah. management. Yeah, I want to get to that in a little bit. But, and size makes a difference. I mean, at foundation management, our minimum is $5 million. At Because We Care, our minimum is $250. So there is a wide difference in the entry point to create a, a DAF as opposed to a family foundation. They both are wonderful philanthropic tools. And when we meet whether it's with the estate planning attorney or with a family or an individual, we try to determine what is their philanthropic goal, Mm -hmm. not what's best for us, what's best for them. And then we sit down and talk about the pros and cons of each of these tools. And, and it may be something other more complex, like a charitable remainder trust or something that we are not associated with, but what is best for, for the fam. Mm-hmm. And we do that in conjunction most times with their estate planning. Okay. I agree. It's, you know, we take the time as foundation management when clients come to us and want to explore kind of their options. We take the time to really listen and kind of see, you know, what is your vision for this? What is your future for this? And you understand when people talk about family and multiple generations and things like that and see that they recognize the value in bringing in kids and grandkids. And we've seen it work so well with families and create kind of a, a bridge for people to communicate and talk mm-hmm. to each other. And when people are spread out all over the country and, you know, you have cousins that you've maybe seen a few times in your life, it's this creates an avenue for that and really can continue legacies. Um, so we always encourage that when that is kind of the overall need that we're seeing just based on our experience and listening to people talk about things. And if I could add, I don't think it's an either or scenario all the time because I see that DAFs and private foundations can actually uh, benefit mutually from each other. 
So we, we do work with private foundations who have donor-advised funds for the foundation. We can work with a, a private foundation that may decide it doesn't want to be a private foundation anymore and it needs to dissolve, but yet those dollars still have to remain within the charitable space. Right. So that can become come into a donor-advised fund. It's a good point. One thing that you all have, have hit on that I value is it's the ability to have this wealth conversation with families and starting with charitable giving, which are much more fun and hopefully enjoyable conversations than, all right, let's sit down and we're going to talk about what happens when I die and what you're going to inherit. It's just money is such a taboo topic. And Mm -hmm. But starting with the giving side and Frank, to your point, starting with a goals conversation, what are your goals? What are your legacy goals? Then from there, we build the plan. Having that wealth conversation with families is, I think, the most beneficial part because for all these multi-generational wealthy families, maybe you're the first generation that's building the wealth, but you're ideally going to pass it down. The statistic shows just by that third generation, that wealth is gone. But if you can back up and you can help those, those next two or three generations understand the purpose of the money and the desires of the original creator of the wealth, odds go way up that that money will sustain and also grow. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's what we see, and I'm mm-hmm. sure you guys see that as well. Uh, yeah. I'll tell a quick story about a family we met with not long ago. They came in, grandmother was there, her daughter and her, her son-in-law were there, and their three children were in the room. And so, and when grandmother dies, there's going to be a transfer of wealth to this next two generations. And then there was a half of a third generation in the room at the time. And so we were able to have a conversation with this family about what their philanthropic options were. But the most rewarding thing for me during that conversation was to watch grandmother and the pride that she took knowing that her children and grandchildren were thinking of something very philanthropic with some of the money they were going to inherit from her. And so her, just the pride that she had during that meeting was, was amazing to me. And that's what we try to do. We, we working with families and I will tell you from my time in the trust business and, and fundraising, generous families are always happier families than stingy families. We see it mm-hmm. all the time. Yeah. And when we see a trustee who, and we see it from time to time, that just don't get philanthropy, they don't make very good board members for family foundations. And so, and we help families navigate through that. How do you encourage philanthropy? I mean, we have trustees that their discretionary money is a drag. I just, I can't, I can't figure out how to give it away. I mean, how can you not figure out how to give (laughs) some money away? That's a concept I don't understand. Let me help you. But but (laughs) we have some that it comes to the end of the year and they haven't spent their discretionary giving. Mm -hmm. And so they're probably not going to grow up to be philanthropists. Right. Mm -hmm. They can't even give away money that's given them to give away. But we try to help them and help them find that. And Carrie can give you example after example where we work with the next generation, take them on site visits. And yeah. It's interesting. You mentioned that Tyler, like the conversation around wealth and sometimes we're the people that are sitting there with kids who are maybe like 11 and 12 and telling them that your family has a foundation and there's, there's quite a bit of money, like yeah. telling them that right. essentially that they are a, from a family of wealth. Because we talk about any of this before exactly. something yes. were to happen. Or, yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So oftentimes we find ourselves in the place of having that conversation and educating the kids. And like you just get the reactions are funny. Um, 
Very interesting. <laughs> That's a great point. I'm sure that so, happens a lot. Yes. Um, but I think that is one thing that we help families with. We can make that easier. We know the words to use and we don't have the emotion that they may have attached to it and the angst of telling their kids like what mm-hmm. this is. And so we can inform them about it, but then immediately to show them like, here's what you're going to do with it. And here's what it actually means. So they don't get the wrong idea (laughs) (laughs) and really understand, you know, this is a responsibility. Yes, but it is also something that can be be a really good thing for you and for others. I mean, we talk about that legacy, that family legacy and those kinds of things. And and, in this particular family that Carrie's talking about, the mom and dad just couldn't have this conversation with their kids. And so they didn't want to say, hey, we're affluent. And so that's not what we did at all. We talked about the responsibility of being philanthropic with this foundation that you have in hopes that they understand the responsibilities that come with wealth and start doing that. I mean, we've got these three kids with this one family that get discretionary money from the foundation. And so Carrie takes them on site visits, mm-hmm. shows them some different opportunities, and then the kids make a recommendation to the board that they'd like to spend their discretionary money at this animal shelter or this food bank or whatever. And then the kids have to report back, what did the money do? How mm-hmm. did it go? I want to hit on that real quick because I think this happens, I know from my conversations, this has happened with both Because We Care and Foundation Management. But somebody can come to you guys, or I, I think this is a neat reminder that they may say, I have a heart for a specific segment or demographic of the world. I have a heart for uh, this type of organization. They don't necessarily have to come and say, I want to give to X, Y, and Z charities. They may say, this is my heart. And you guys get to have these really cool conversations. And Carrie, you mentioned site visits of, talk to me a little bit about some of that and some of the organizations you guys have gone out and found, not naming them, but like how that process works. Somebody comes to you and says something, and then you guys are tasked with finding a charity that does that. We first of all, know of a lot of organizations just because of the work that we do with the foundation management clients and because we care clients. There's so many grant checks are being written to different causes and we do the research and the due diligence and all of the checking in on those organizations before a check leaves our office. That is a responsibility we take very seriously, but then also as a way to educate ourselves. And then just between the team at foundation management, because we care Doing this for so many years, we just have become familiar with those organizations. If we don't know of anything, then we have a network that we can call Mm -hmm. other organizations, other experts, other people who do similar work to what we do across the country. So that has come in. um, I mean, we utilize that often. Weekly. (laughs) Yeah. We've got a client in San Diego who carry manages and they said, we want to do STEM education in public schools mainly the poorer schools of San Diego. We didn't know anything about public schools in San Diego. Right. But we do now. Sure. And we know the names of the principals and we know the names of the science and math teachers. And we were able to help them create a program that helped low-income kids in San Diego get a jump start on their STEM education. I love it. If that example, small, short example, doesn't speak to the impact that nonprofits have in our communities, I don't know what else will. That's what really makes the change happen. A lot of, and there's are a few policies that can get put in place by city and state and national governments, but mm-hmm. it's the charities that are going to continue to change the world and make it a better place. As we wrap up here, let's spend a little bit of time on the foundation management side because I think it's just it is really interesting whether or not it's a a family that ever will set up their own family foundation. I do think it's an interesting topic. Discuss 
uh, maybe the types of families you work with when you get brought in. But let's spend a little time on foundation management. And usually it's a single person or a couple that has been referred to us normally by a state planning attorney or by their money manager. And we sit down with them and we spend a lot of time about what is your end game. And many times they haven't thought through it, but their end game is to take their children's inheritance, put it into a foundation, not tell their kids about it until they're gone. And then their kids are supposed to come together and have fun spending their inheritance that they didn't get. Sounds like a great plan. Not really. (laughs) And so, I mean, it is a flawed plan. What we encourage people like that, start small while you're still alive. Mm -hmm. Whether it's through a DAF or a foundation, bring your children together and your grandchildren or however you, you see fit to do that. And we help with that discussion. And then see which one of them dig it. Mm-hmm. And they won't all dig it. But helping them learn this joy that we kind of opened this conversation up and observe which ones get the joy. And then if it's you see that that's going to be successful, then put a little bit more money in it or leave it as is and fund it at your death. But it's not going to be a surprise to your children that some of their inheritance is going to go to philanthropy. Mm-hmm. And so you have the discussion while you're alive with your kids. A lot of people don't want to do that. They don't want to talk about money with their family, and they don't want to talk about dying. But both those things are going to happen. Well, you're sitting in the right place because that's about all we do around here. <laughs> so it's working with that that estate planning attorney, working with that money manager to help them be at peace with the decisions that they're making. I mean, Randy helped a couple. Tell them about that couple you helped them with who lost a child. Yeah, so uh, husband and wife decided that they um, had more money than they needed at this point, but their goal was just to create something that would live on after both of them have died. What they wanted to do, though, is set up the donor advised fund now knowing that it won't be actually funded until their estate is processed. So we were able to do that, again, because we have this process and philosophy of meeting donors where they are. Right. So you set up something, got them situated from an estate planning standpoint that the entity sitting ready to be funded upon last surviving spouse. What we would call the second death. Mm-hmm. We talk about the, the team approach we take, not the full cell team, but your financial team that's sitting around your table taking care of you, your estate planner, your CPA, your tax planner, maybe an insurance person, but then your wealth manager is where we sit. You guys are just another seat at that table doing what you do really, really, really well. And so I think that's an important, something I wanted to make sure we highlight is that you do have a seat at many tables and your goal is to is make sure that that conversation continues to happen. So mm-hmm. I just we just continue to encourage families that whether or not they are a foundation level client or a donor advised fund client or both, but they're having that giving conversation because I think it's another really important part. So I just wanted to kind of provide some detail of what happens Please. after that conversation. Yeah. Um, so foundation management, we provide highly customized, personalized back office services. So we have those initial conversations, figure out what they want to do with it. And once they become a client of foundation management, we then take care of their accounting. We become their office. Their All of their correspondence can flow through our office so that our clients have said that that takes a lot of pressure off of them, you Absolutely. know, being in public and being able to say, call Carrie or call Frank or call Randy. Um, so we, we become that for our clients. We manage their grant making process. 
whether they want to just accept grant applications or if they come to us with ideas like we've already talked about. So we customize that again to what it is that they want. We plan their annual meetings. We try to meet with all of our clients twice a year. We take care of everything from picking the date, which is usually the hardest part, to, you know, identifying like what we're going to have for lunch. So full service, complete, you know, we take care of everything for the clients that are under our umbrella. We also can do some consulting work. So sometimes families come to us and we have those initial conversations. They need a little bit more. They don't need the full staff, but they need a couple of days. Let's bring the rest of the family together and let's sit down and let's fine tune our policies and let's do all of that. And we come in a lot at that point too to help, you know, in times of generational transition, let's get things tightened up and update these things so we know how to move forward for the next several years. Uh, And a lot of times those clients end up coming back eventually because, you know, generations change. Like we've seen it several times where, you know, maybe grandma and grandpa could have done this full time. This was what it was their passion. They they had the time to commit to it. But a couple of generations down the road, they're working full time and they have kids and they have those things. So that's that's a good time for us to step in. And I can then become their staff person and they can pass that off. I'm glad you specified that because I forgot about all the consulting that you guys do mm-hmm. um, along the way and how important that is. And and that's those are some of, if my memory serves correctly, some of the more funny or chaotic <laughs> stories that I've heard from the consulting. Because you guys get brought in as a consultant, not when everything's going yeah. smooth. Every yeah. family's got a bit of dysfunction, and that spills over to family foundations. And so sometimes they need a little couch time to figure out how to, to work together in harmony. And and if you'd like, I can share you some stories about some family foundations that that came to us and they were having no fun. I mean, they were so miserable, they were just going to give all the money away and stop doing it. Well, let's, let's kind of wrap up there then with some stories because I think those are the best way of conveying the message of truly what you guys do. So each of you I've kind of asked to provide some of your favorite, unique, messy, the best ending stories, if you will. So yeah, let's spend some time there as we wrap up our conversation. I'll start with one. Drew, a friend of a friend, we get a call and this family was having no fun and they literally were going to give all the money away to nonprofits and go out of business. And it was a a sizable family foundation. They called us and kind of gave us one crack at it. And so we worked them through a two-day board retreat, helped rewrite some policies and procedures. And then at the end, they allowed us to to make a pitch for them coming and being a full-time foundation management client. And we were hired. And we've been with them for several years now. We take a a trusty trip every year to do site visits, but we also mix in a little fun. This family works extremely hard and they are doing some extremely creative philanthropy. It's very complicated work, but at the end of the day, the brother and the sister and their spouses and the mom and dad truly love one another and want this thing to continue because they are now experiencing joy. Before we got there, the fun had been sucked out of the room. And so not for any particular reason, but we've just been able to go in and put policies and procedures the way we help. We don't run the meeting, but we organize the meeting and the way we help with the grant making decisions and the site visits. and the I call it all of the in between, you the, know, the, the things that happen between meetings. <laughs> we all know that like you can have a meeting and then there's always like the to do list afterward to be able to have someone else take care of those tasks that need to be done. Right. Yes. The in-between. So we're really good at the in-betweens because we're going to know 
man, this particular deal is going to blow up. So we worked with the directors or trustees in between to say, you're not going to win this. So either you can get happy about it or be mad about it, but you're not going to win. You don't have the votes. And we have those conversations. I mean, we're just straight up have those conversations and it takes the tension out of the room. I love that. So they can come together. It's not all kumbaya. It's never going to all be kumbaya, but you can have a good discussion. You can take a vote. You can run it as a democracy and move forward. It's a good reminder. It's a good story. Thanks, Frank. So I was just going to speak generally about how we're able to find these creative ways for donor advised funds to help individuals meet their philanthropic goals, right? We mentioned earlier the couple who wanted to do their legacy planning early. So we were able to bring them peace and comfort to, to have one major thing checked off their to-do list. But also things like uh, Carrie mentioned, we figured out a way to accept a gift of real property, um, a duplex in uh, southeastern Oklahoma that a donor needed to not own anymore for various reasons. Sure. And so we figured that out. I, I think that's where we shine in a lot of ways because there are a lot of rules and regulations around donor advice funds. The list of can'ts far outweighs the, oh, the yeah. can sometimes, but figuring out how to navigate that and still help an individual arrive at her or his goal, uh, it, it's really rewarding. I've been thinking about this for a couple of days and it's so hard for me. Um, it's almost, you know, it doesn't feel fair to like choose my favorite child. Um, so I don't, I hesitate here, to. Here, you can come back. We'll have your own, we'll have your own episode of just I know, Carrie's yes. favorites. <laughs> You know, it could it could fill a whole one because uh, truly any of the nonprofits that we work with, any of the families that we work with all do really great things, but just in different ways. So that's that's just like the, the main takeaway. And it's not just one. And it's in all of the communities that we work in because of our board of directors involvement or the family's involvement. They, you know, have their there's a problem that they see and they want to fix. So. We're able to help facilitate creating a dental clinic. You know, there's, you know, we don't have this. We need this right here. Let's have a dental clinic or let's pay attention to mental health or let's have some housing for students who are doing an internship in medical school and make it really great. So maybe they want to come back to rural Oklahoma and practice here and kind of bring people back. So like I said, it's hard to choose one because we do so many different varying projects, but the ability to work with clients and go into communities and fill voids, I think, is probably one of my favorite things and a good takeaway from this. Um, like Randy said, we come from a place, to kind of use like a cliche phrase, we come from a place of yes, we will find a way to do it. Sometimes that's really hard and long and complicated, but if the end goal is good, then it'll be worth it. I'm going to pick a favorite for Carrie. <laughs> <laughs> we were at a board meeting and one of the family member said, there's a reading problem in this small town in northeastern Oklahoma. I won't give you the name of the town, but there's a, there was a reading problem and a major poverty problem. So Carrie arranged a meeting with the superintendent and the principal of the grade schools in this town, and all the board members were there. And we sat down with this superintendent and principal and said, we understand there's a reading problem in your school. Yes, that is true. We don't know how to fix it, but we're good at writing checks. And so bring us a plan. And then everybody left except for Carrie. And so Carrie <laughs> worked with the principal and the superintendent to create what she named Adventure Academy, what was in reality summer school. And so... It's a better way of naming it. It's, a great, <laughs> it's way more fun. Yeah. Great plan. Mm -hmm. And I'd have called it summer school. But anyway, we, we created 
Carey created Adventure Academy. The school put together a budget on what this six-week summer school was going to cost, and it was way too much. And Carey said, no, we got to rework this. And they got it down to a workable budget. After the first year before COVID, 80% of the kids who were going to be held back, not go to the third grade, have to repeat second grade, 80% of them were greeting at grade level at the end of Adventure Academy. These kids got to go to the Philbrook Museum. Carrie said taking 60 second graders to the Philbrook. Oh, for sure, yeah. <laughs> if you could ever avail yourself to that opportunity, I highly recommend it. Walking through museums <laughs> with second graders Don't touch is that. hilarious. Don't, touch that. Don't yes. touch that. The comments that come out are just priceless. <laughs> and now that has been expanded to three different school districts in northeastern Oklahoma. And the family is ecstatic about this. The kids... We're changing their course in life. Oh, no doubt. And we're also, because of what we're able to do with field trips, the kids are, they don't know they're learning. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, it feels a little bit different than it does during the school year. It's it's more fun. They get to do the cool experiments and stuff like that. But having a great partnership with the schools, like Frank mentioned, with the superintendents and principals, it's also, they know the kids and maybe some of the kids are there because they need a good safe place in the summer. So they have that in addition to working on their summer education. So it, it's very meaningful and it's something I'm really proud to be a part of. I love that. I'm glad you shared that, Frank, because I think Carrie was reluctant to pick a favorite. And so <laughs> that's fine. We'll do uh, Carrie's favorites one later. Mm-hmm. But I think that in a nutshell really sums up the impact that you guys through these entities have on the various communities and families that you work with. So anything we left out as we close? All I'd like to say is, Tyler, first, thank you for allowing us this opportunity. Whatever you or your family needs philanthropically, we probably can either provide or offer you ways to meet that desire. Mm -hmm. And whether it's a DAF, a private foundation, or some of the more complex ways of doing philanthropy, we would welcome the opportunity to sit down with you and, and talk through those, whether it's you come with us or not, help you find that best way for you and your family to to meet those goals. Also, thank you for having yeah. us. This has been a lot of fun. Um, it's I, I always enjoy talking about the, the fun stuff that we get to do. Um, so just I had a great time. Thanks. Thank you so much. Well, listen, thank you all for joining us today. This episode is going to be the, the best ones always go the fastest. <laughs> and uh, I can't believe how much, how, how long we've been talking and the extent of what we we're able to cover. So I really appreciate your time. I know our listeners are going to really appreciate it. We will do this again soon and, and tell more stories. So thank you guys. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. If you enjoyed today's conversation, please review and subscribe through your preferred podcast platform. Have a great week. All opinions expressed by the host and podcast guests are solely their own opinions and do not reflect the opinions of Full Sail Capital. For this informational podcast. purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for investment decisions. Clients of Full Sail may maintain positions in the securities discussed in this podcast. 